You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Leadership. You might think that teaching theology is only for the professional, or you might not think of yourself as a theological educator, and yet every pastor is. The nature of spiritual leadership is always teaching. That's a non-negotiable part of it. And yet we might sometimes wonder, what's the point of teaching theology or doctrine? What role does that play in the spiritual formation of a person or in the congregational life of a church, in the way that a community lives out its faith? In today's podcast, Dr. Tammy Grimm and I talk about theological education and what our experience has been and why it might be difficult to operate in the teaching mode as pastors. And yet why it is so important for pastors to keep on being theologians who teach theology. Dr. Grimm is the Assistant Professor of Congregational Formation here at Wesley Seminary. She is a contributor to Catalyst Resources, for whom she writes on a consistent basis, and she is a personal friend. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsor, and then enjoy the episode. We are Wesley, and you belong here. I'm Gloria Zikiwe, and I am Wesley. My name is Chris, and guess what? I am Wesley. I'm Ryan Wagers, and I am Wesley. My name is Julius White, and I am Wesley. My name is Jen Peterson, and I am Wesley. We recognize this beautiful diversity that the Lord has called together that is Wesley. My name is Corey Merritt, and I am Wesley. I am Wayne Brown, and I am Wesley. I am Colleen Durr, and I belong here. You belong here too, because we are Wesley. Welcome to the Wesley Seminary Podcast, Dr. Grimm. It's great to have you with us. <laughs> Good to be here. All right, I want to jump right in. You okay. and I are both theological educators, right? It's already kind of a mouthful. It just means that in a theological context or in a context about God, who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, we get to teach and train people who are partnering with God already in that work as though we should never, and I know we don't presume that, that God doesn't start working until we teach. No, we're, we're already jumping into a conversation that's that started here. So with that in mind, I'd love to hear from you. What is theological education? I'm going to take my idea about what theological education is right from a guy named um, Reinhold Niebuhr. Well, he actually talked about the theological schools. Think about a school as a place, but education as an endeavor and action. I believe that theological education is nothing more than just the intellectual endeavor of the church's life. It's what we do as a church intellectually that is purposed towards loving God and loving our neighbor. That's simple, but it's got a whole lot to unpack. <laughs> In a previous conversation that you and I had, we, we discussed how we get to do this. I think yeah. that the intellectual life of the church is not a, it's not a duty. It's a, it's a grace. It's a privilege. It's something we all get to participate in. Mm -hmm. And I think about my, my kids. So I have a 10 year old, an eight year old, a five year old and an 11 month old. And, and I see my five year olds, like his eyes light up when he catches something that's true about God and he's able to share it. And I'm like, that's theological education happening. That's the fruit of theological mm -hmm. education from his parents or from his Sunday school teachers or, or in our church. Cause he, you know, every once in a while he picks up something that our pastor says, you know, it doesn't look like he's paying attention, but that gets in there. Right. 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 And so what a privilege then for him to participate in theological mm -hmm. education. 
one of the things that you and I have both witnessed, and I think probably everybody has witnessed, is that with there being a plethora of education, YouTube is an educational goldmine for whatever <laughs> you're looking for now. But at the same time, it can also be a miseducation goldmine, right? right? Depending on on what you're looking for. <laughs> but there there is like a scrambling for education because people know that I, I run into a problem or a situation, I need some help with the right keystrokes, I can find some help. And one of the things that you and I heard during the pandemic was, these are my friends, and and I absolutely know what they were saying. They were saying something like, you know, I didn't have a course in pastoring during pandemics in seminary, right? Mm -hmm. Or in Bible college. That that was never part of the curriculum. We all had a good chuckle because we all knew what they were talking about, right? Like, I am faced with some problems I've never faced before. I'm faced with some problems my teachers had never faced before. And Mm so weren't even really considering that we would face it. And yet at the same time, they were looking for education, new sources, new resources, and yet they were still drawing on some old sources and old resources. As you went through your own journey and you did some interviews with pastors, I'd love for you to talk to us about how people can draw on their education when there isn't an immediate fit to an emerging context. So that maybe they were in seminary or college, or maybe just their life experience, and they're trying to draw on resources that they've picked up to apply to something today that just wasn't the context in which they learned. How can people do that? Mm-hmm. There's a couple things I want to say there. And the first immediately is you and I taught a couple of years ago, we taught a PCW, Pastor Church and World Class together, an introductory um, students to Wesley Seminary. And we used a meme, a quote that comes from, I forget exactly where it comes from, but the going to seminary is like going to culinary school. You get to learn the basic foundations. You learn some really cool things. And at the end, you can prepare this beautiful gourmet meal. But that pastoring is like waking up every day to a new episode of Chopped. (laughs) The ingredients are completely random. You're expected to do something with whatever you're handled while everybody's watching, providing running commentary, and sometimes, occasionally, something will explode. And so those folks, you know, that were in the immediates of the the pastoring, it's like, I didn't learn this in seminary. It's like, I don't even know that we ever even want to teach a class on what it means to pastor in a pandemic. I think we do have sources from church history that we're able to draw upon. There's a lot of research that's being done right now on trauma that we can learn these foundation, these pieces that help inform us because the context is always going to be different. I happen to be old enough to have been in seminary or my seminary education was long enough ago that it happened September 11th, 2001. It happened. And I will never forget, you know, just how the seminary cafeteria just filled up one day because what was going to happen was a couple of the preaching pastors that then happened on Tuesday. We watched in horror. We prayed in chapel after the, the buildings had fallen and people knew that they were going to be occupying pulpits on Sunday. And what do you preach? A man named Ellsworth Callis got up and he was one of the preaching professors at the seminary. And he said, I, this is tragic. This is terrible. This is horrible. And he said, unfortunately, this will not be the last time you will preach an event like this. And he talked about having to preach when he was much younger, not just at the assassination of JFK, but also when Pearl Harbor was bombed. So there are places in which events are going to happen in our lives, cataclysmic events. And what theological education, I believe, formal, I want to be very specific here, formal theological education does for us is it provides us with foundations so that when the ground seems like it is moving out and being pulled out from underneath us, 
And it might be, we still know that God is the fabric of our lives and that God is not going to let us drop through the safety net. And so that we can find our foothold in God's rocks, in God's word, in the ways in which God has shaped us and formed us so that we might be able to offer God's goodness to folks who are hurting, who are experiencing trauma. I think that's what theological education at its best really does. We could have in some of our other colleagues who teach in other disciplines and they would say like, hey, that's why I'm here, right? The reason we teach historical theology or church history is to show that Christians have been wrestling with who God is in the midst of changing things for the entire history of the Christian faith. Out of the the rise and fall of the, the Roman Empire, you have things like the doctrine of the Trinity emerge and the doctrine of the incarnation. And, and these are things that the church considered so important to develop in the midst of topsy-turvy times and to get worked out in the midst of conversation and to put down so that their, their worship could be pursued intellectually. So that they could have an intellectual understanding of how are we worshiping and why do we worship like this? Why do we worship Jesus? And we want to give language to it because these are things that can hold true over the duration of the Christian faith, as long as Christ tarries. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important as to why preachers and pastors should be intent and diligent in teaching theology. It's not about answering a test at the end of the day or making sure if you turn to page 422 of your college theology textbook. Or use that the you, Chicago Manual of Style and footnote <laughs> exactly correctly. Yeah. Who God is is what is unchanging in the midst mm -hmm. of changing world. We are in time, so we are changing beings. God is the one who is sustaining and holding all this together. Mm -hmm. And in as much as he has revealed himself to us, then we have unchanging truths that can hold us. Mm -hmm. And how important it is, not just in the midst of pandemics, but you have epidemics, right? Things that are affecting more localized groups of people, but every person is going to hit times in their life when it's turned upside down, right? Mm -hmm. Unexpected deaths, mm -hmm. unexpected injuries, bankruptcies, loss of job. These things just happen on a regular basis. And one of the reasons that I love teaching theology to my students is that I want to give them something that holds so that whenever they come face to face with such horrific suffering, then they will on a semi-consistent basis in the mm -hmm. nature of the church, that they have got truths that will hold on mm -hmm. and truths that not just hold them together, but that they can pass on to their people as well. Mm -hmm. Let me bring this as a question then to you. I've, I've talked long enough. Pastors are theological educators. That's yeah. just part of pastoral ministry. How can pastors grow in their educational roles and responsibilities for their churches and others under their care? How can they grow as educators knowing that this is a non-negotiable part of what they are called to do? I'm going to back up in a couple of minutes ago, I underscored the idea that we are in formal theological education. And there is a place and very much that the congregation communities of faith are going to be a place in which we would call in educational lingo, it would be non-formal education. And that most of what we live in our lives that we experience as we're going about our daily lives when we're in traffic, those are places of informal theological education, you know, where we encounter God when we're standing there, whether we're sitting in traffic and because it's because of an accident and we're called to pray, feel the prompt to pray for the accident victims, or we're sitting there at a red light or construction zones, or we're in a line in, in the supermarket. Pastors as theological educators, the ways in which they are probably best prepared to do that work is to be continually living into that commandment, to be preparing themselves literally to love God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul and with all their strength and to ignore those opportunities, those promptings, 
of pursuing God with intellectual pursuits, thinking rationally, thinking through things, being able to have a handle on language that they could speak it for themselves to ignore what is possible in loving God with their own intellect is to actually shirk our ways in which we love God with our heart, in which we love God with our soul Mm. and how we love God with all of our strength. So it's a fully orbed piece. And so it's not just simply sitting down and reading, although I think reading really is a part of it. I think we also, we may have both taught a class and capstone students at the end of their seminary career. And what does it mean as pastors, public theologian to be doing reading and to research and to continually that there never ends in, in themselves. It's always about what is God having to say and where is God merging? And one of the things, if I could back up for a second, how do we draw on our education when it isn't an immediate fix to an emerging context? It often comes from how we have been formed in ways in which we know how to show love for God and show love for neighbor. And I think those are really relevant in folks and contexts in which, because there's also not seminary classes, maybe there are in some, in some places about what to do for immigration, showing love for immigrants, showing love for folks who are, who are being sex trafficked, but yet there are congregations, there's communities that are able to respond because they know the love of God and that this is how, this is what shapes and forms them so that they're going to re- do this naturally. That happens contemporarily in a lot of congregations and that in their communal context, something that's natural to who they are and to their identity. And I'm thinking about a very specific historical context. There's a village in France, in the plateaus of France, that during World War II, a place called Lochambon sur lanon that was a haven. It became an outpost in which many Jews, I forgot the number, but thousands of Jews actually were able to flee the Holocaust because these people there, having been led by a pastor, they had a pastor named Andre Trocme, and they were so formed in the love of God and knew what it was to be part of loving God, loving neighbor is to, to showing care for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. And the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the passenger were these Jews that were trying to escape, taken off to concentration camps. And Trachme and this community did what came natural to them. So it's not about going out and inventing something and coming up with some structure. And I would dare say that folks who, you know, if somebody wants to respond to a crisis by coming up with a huge plan, that's probably not necessarily going to work. What is natural? What has the Holy Spirit already equipped you with to do? How has Jesus formed you? How do we have this mind, this intellectual pursuit of God? How do we use our mind in Christ? And that as a result of that, we do what Jesus did. We show God's love. It's got to be organic. It's got to be natural. It's the ways in which we've been formed. And that has a lot to do with again, those commandments. And you see how doctrine works its way into the everydayness of life then. So I I often talk to students about incarnation is not simply God taking on flesh, it's God taking on a life enfleshed, which is 
everydayness kind of life, the ups and downs, the rhythms of it, the, the days that don't go you know, your way, physical pain, boredom, right? Relational strife, right? All these things. He's gone through that and drawing on the resources that there's nothing that I will face in life that Christ has not faced as a man. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that I will not face that, that he is not already faced and done so perfectly, done so truly by the power of God's spirit and doing only what his mm-hmm. father has done. And I think about the doctrine of the Trinity, the relational nature of God and being for the other and receiving the other and being given. And I think about the nature of the family and friendship and that the life of God is being revealed in these really important relationships. And mm-hmm. so I want them to be healthy. I want them to be filled with respect and generosity because that's the nature of God. And if I think about who God is, then I might just replicate that naturally, as mm-hmm. you're saying. And that's, mm-hmm. of course, you're getting into spiritual formation. Two more things I want to just kind of invite your take on. One is sometimes I'll have pastors that that will ask me what to read theologically. And I'll say, well, what's already on your shelf? What did you read? Maybe 10 or 15 or 12, or just last year, right? That's Mm -hmm. an actual systematic theology. And I'll say, read that. There's no shame in reading the same book twice. Maybe you'll get more out of it this time. (laughs) Or maybe you'll see an underlined. underlined? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you'll see something you underlined and highlighted. Go back and read that. And so I said, that's one thing that you can do to grow as a theological educator is to revisit what formal training you did have. It's always interesting to me that we can reread passages of the Bible, but we may not pick, oh, I read that in seminary. We'll reread it again. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I'm going through uh, Tom Oden's three volume systematic theology, which I actually read in seminary. And I was reading on the immensity of God. And I was like, it's not just helpful. It's beautiful, right? There's mm-hmm. something that I'm yeah. impressed by God yeah. with it. Here's the other thing I'd love to get your take on. And I'll speak this autobiographically. So Mm -hmm. this is, maybe it's about the listeners, but it's definitely about me is sometimes I will hedge my teaching because I'm afraid of getting something wrong, or I will worry about going back to teach something again, because if I find something new, then maybe I'll realize that I've taught something wrong in the past, right? Mm -hmm. It's better to kind of like let sleeping dogs lie, or just kind of like leave that in the past. But I think it's so important to keep challenging ourselves because we still will always have people before us who want to live lives better, who want to know God more mm-hmm. deeply. And it doesn't matter if they're 8, 18, or 80. The 80-year-old who says, I'm done learning about God, well, they're probably not in church anyways, right? The, the 80-year-old who's, who's there and is attentive, they want to know God better, right? They want to know God more fully. And so I just want to name that, that I can, I can sometimes shy away from tough topics because I'm like, well, what if I get it wrong? Or I can sometimes shy away from really taking my job in the pulpit seriously, Mm -hmm. because I'm like, well, you know, is this going to bring up something that I've taught wrong before? It has happened when somebody will actually challenge me and be like, well, pastor, you know, like two years ago, you said this, right? Like, yeah, let me think about that. Right. Like, you know, it's just in the warp and the woof of pastoral ministry, the Sunday sermon's got to get preached at Mm -hmm. times. There's all kinds of things going on. Just talk to us about some of that kind of like existential struggle that can come whenever pastors might take their role as a theological educator seriously. The idea in which we think about what it means to be formed and that we're not fully cooked. Part of of what it means to undergo formation is to be marinating in the sauces. We can pastor and pressure cooker moments, definitely. That has to happen. And there might even be very contextual reasons for saying something. And you can look back on something and you, you and I write from time to time, and we can look back on something and we're like, and we cringe, you know, and it's even been edited by somebody else. And we're just like, why is that there? But yet, you know, in the forward, it says any mistakes in this are still solely mine. And, and so we take responsibility for that. That's also a reason why we do have opportunities that this is a practice of ministry. 
ultimately. This is not the execution of ministry. It's not once and done forever. We are always seeking to get better at it. We are practice of ministry, the practice of teaching, the practice of what it means to be a Christian following Christ. Just because we've had the perfect communion service, just because we've heard the per, you know, music performance that just cannot get any better doesn't mean we're done listening to music. We keep craving it. We keep wanting it. We keep pursuing it. And it's always, always happening. So it's an ongoing relationship. Those of you folks who are married, it again, there's that, that relationship that, you know, in a good, healthy marriage, you enjoy being with one another and mistakes, you, you live with them, you laugh about them, you love through them, love covers them. And yet it happens over time. Pastoring, you know, you don't look at the mistakes and we're all going to have moments in which we're going to cringe. We're going to, oh gosh, and, and have to make the careful discernment with ourselves in prayer, and then also with the community around us. And that when we do hear a voice of criticism, knowing the difference when the voice is a criticism of correction that helps us to be better, or when it is such outright harm that it's really the voice of the enemy just telling you you're not enough, you're not good enough, and you can't. Another term we talked about before, you can't measure up that the enemy is out to sow seeds of self-doubt and sow seeds of, of discord. Having folks that you can trust in prayer that you can talk with about when it is you need to attend to particular aspects of life that you can, or ministry, that you can become better at, that you can lean into and have new strengths and find flex new muscles. That's very helpful to have. And without that, I think we do let ourselves just become this mass of withering doubts and I don't knows and, and it's not helpful. That confidence that does not tend into certainty and the, the arrogance or pride that come with that, but confidence that what I am saying now is reflected upon, has been received from, from judicious sources and has been marinated in, in my, the midst of a relationship with God and, and can be improved upon, <laughs> you know, that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah. Cause, cause pastor, let, let me say like the evidence that you can get better as a counselor, as a preacher, as a theologian, as an educator, as a leader is a sign that your people can be transformed too. And, and never, never shy from saying how God has been gracious to overcome your shortcomings right. and to let them know that God is at work in their life right. too. That is so much a part of the Wesleyan message right. that transformation is possible. Right. There's always going to be a part of pastoring that's going to be performative. We're going to get up from preach. We're going to have to offer advice. We're going to have to be able to lead a, a class and be able to exegete. But to be able to know what to do in particular circumstances, how folks were able to get themselves through the pandemic and figure out how to best work in their congregations or communities, how to offer, whether it be the pandemic, whether it had been preaching in that moment of national or international cataclysm, even for Andre Trachme, I think all what brings them all together is that they, they're being interpretive guides. They're being able to interpret the landscape in light of what they know, that they have a certain degree of formation, having been formed by God, their identity being in God. So reading that context allows them to be shaped, to be molded, and to bring shape and meaning to the situation that folks can then also grow 
towards God, loving God, all heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if it's just performance, I don't know that that's going to have any meaning. Joining us today has been Dr. Tammy Grimm. Dr. Grimm is Assistant Professor of Congregational Formation here at Wesley Seminary. We share an office wall, and so we hear each other from time to time, but it's nice to have a conversation in person, Tammy, and to have your voice go out to uh, our listeners here at the podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. You make conversations like this possible. The Wesley Seminary podcast exists to introduce topics and resources for fruitful ministry. I trust we've done just that today. Couldn't do it without the help of Connor Reed, our producer. So thank you, Connor, for all your work. Listeners, if you found this episode helpful, please like and subscribe. Share it around on your various social media platforms and let other people know about the Wesley Seminary podcast. Until next time, trust you all to have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary. 